Good evening, Element City Church. Thank you all so much for being here. My name is Karen Donderwitz. If uh, you don't know me, I'm a board member here at Element City Church. We are so excited um, that you all are here in person tonight, or if you're online, we're so excited that you're there online as well. And for those of you, I know that it's raining and you might even be online for those reasons or catching up uh, to encounter God later on this week. We're so excited for you to be here. Um, so thank you for all, all of you for, for coming this evening. Look, here, there's a few things that you can do to get connected here at Element City Church. The first thing that you can do is download the app. So go to um, either the Apple Play Store or, um, or so Google Play or the Apple Store, and you can download uh, the Element City Church app. Get connected, prayer requests, follow along in the sermon. Uh, there's a lot of things that you can do within the app. Uh, we also, we are so excited for those of you who are new. Uh, there's a few ways that you can get engaged here as well. So the first thing again Go, go on the app. You can fill out a connection card there. Or if you're online, there's a host who's willing to just answer your questions, pray with you, follow along with you in the sermon, um, and just engage with you and, and also fill out a connection card online. There's another really cool way uh, to get engaged with Element City Church, and that is through our telephone, uh, the, the, sending us a quick text message. So send hello to the number 520 Six eight six eight, um, and you're going to get a couple of text messages back. It's not we're not going to spam you, but you are going we are going to get connected with us. Um, you could also do prayer requests through that as well. Um, Look, one thing that I absolutely love, love, love about Elements is that uh, we, we're all about fellowship here. We do some really crazy things together, um, and that's just what our church is all about. And so uh, if you can get connected, please do that right away. And if you're new in-house, look, I know I've got a lot of energy, but that's because there's a party coming up, and it is a 10-minute party just for you. Uh, so please meet me in the back, and I believe there's going to be someone else hanging out with me uh, for a 10-minute party, just a quick introduction, get to know you. Uh, we want to see uh, we want to see the folks who are coming into Elements and just welcome you uh, with a warm smile and embrace and also give you some really awesome popcorn that, according to Jack, is the best kettle corn popcorn the south of uh, the Grand Canyon. So we, we, um, we, we hope that you uh, stop by right after uh, the sermon. Um, again, one of the as I mentioned before, one of the awesome things that we do at Elements is that we fellowship, and that includes fellowshipping and praying and loving on other churches. So we have a Church of the Week every week, and this week it's Redeemer Lutheran Church uh, with Pastor Adam. And so if you don't mind just uh, bowing your heads, praying with me uh, before we get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for bringing us here. We know that you've got a special message for us, um, regardless if this is our first time, if this is our seventh time, or if we've come for a really long time to Elements. Lord, you want to encounter us here tonight. And so we ask that you, you open our hearts, you open our minds to your word, and we absolutely pray over... Um, 
Redeemer Lutheran Church, Lord God, and Pastor Adam, Lord, just uh, continue to pour into their church, continue to provide uh, wisdom and leadership through Pastor Adam, um, and continue to connect him with the community just as we are, Lord God. And God, uh, we also pray for those who are, who are in the rain right now. Uh, we just pray that you bring them here safely or get them to where they need to be safely, Lord God. And we pray all of these things in your name. Amen. All right, Elements, there's a little bit of rain outside, so only a few of us here, so I'm gonna need your best voices tonight helping me out, all right? Before I call, before I ever cry, you answer me from where the thunder hides. I cannot run as hard I'm tethered to When every step I collide with you
like the skies are wide Crashing down to bring the world to life Hoking, dancing on an empty grave Death has lost its rule to the king of grace Be the crown in the last sound Burning inside out Be the love Casting out all fear Let your name Rule the atmosphere
Father God, that is so true. It's so true. There's nothing else that will do. And I sing those words in declaration that I've fallen short so many times in front of my brothers and sisters. But man, I come with my agenda. Or I come with a plan. Or I come hoping to, to do something amazing or do something great. God, I'm sorry. I think we all can relate with that. So God, tonight, we make that honest confession, that honest ask, Father, that we as Element City Church have gathered together to say, Jesus, we just want you. We want more of you. We want more of your spirit, your spirit that dwells in us to be so active and that we would respond. And we look forward with great anticipation to what you intend to accomplish through all of us. And Lord, tonight as, as uh, Pastor Lyle comes and talks a bit about uh, your word, something that you've laid out before us, a sharp sword, a weapon that you've gifted to us, Father. I ask that you would help us to further our understanding of how to wield that. And knowing that it will only bring us closer to looking like your son, Jesus. Bless our time together here. We love you. You are so worthy of our praise. We worship you with everything that we've got with as much honesty as we can to bring. We lift you higher in this place. We love you. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Amen. It's a pleasure having you all here in the house tonight. As Gabe said, if you're new here, my name is Lyle. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, so we've been going through the Rooted Life. That's the title of our sermon series currently. Uh, we're in week four of it now. And uh, so the title of tonight's message, it's a life saturated in scripture. And the idea behind the Rooted Life, we, we believe these are transformational values that if we commit ourselves to these things, if we put these things into practice in our lives, that we're going to see a mighty move of the Holy Spirit within us. And we're going to see uh, transformation taking place within us as the Spirit gets to do the work in us that only He can do. And so uh, as we dive into God's Word tonight, as we look at the idea of what it is to study God's Word, uh, there's a couple reasons that this is on my heart as something that I wanted to, to talk about tonight. You've probably heard me say this phrase several times uh, in the past couple months as I've preached, but uh, we've developed an overly devotional mindset when it comes to reading the Bible, especially here uh, in America. And with that overly devotional mindset, uh, we usually read like a verse or two here and there, uh, and we expect God to speak through that. Maybe we hear a story or two that the person shares with us. Uh, gosh, maybe we've even gotten to the point where just in the Bible app, we go to the verse of the day, we get to watch the story, someone kind of unpacks it with their story, and we're like, sweet, that feels good. And the reality is, uh, gosh, we're a busy culture, aren't we? 
It's tough to want to get time and to set that time aside to dive into God's word, to really read it and to let it transform us the way that it was meant to. And because, man, some of you have kids and I'm going to say the word margin. We just don't have that margin in our lives. And some of you are like, what is margin? I don't even know what that is anymore. And that's just the season of life that God has you in right? It's just the way that it goes. And so really the hope is uh, that how can we learn to study the Bible with the time that we do have, uh, as opposed to just settling for reading a few verses, reading a paragraph or two that explains those verses, uh, and then trying to get some warm fuzzies within us uh, because we've read those things. If we kind of pare this down to a grossly simplistic metaphor, sometimes what we want to do is we want to grab the spiritual epipen, jab ourselves with it, fill ourselves with a little bit of Jesus so that we feel good and ready to tackle the world as a Christian. But what we know is, is that's not true. That's not our heart. That's not our intention. What we know is that God uh, wants to tell us who he is. That's why God's word is important. This is God's way of telling humanity about himself. Think about when you get to meet somebody when you meet somebody new, maybe think back to if you're, uh, you've got a partner, a spouse, someone that you're married to or someone that you're dating. When you first met that person, you got to self-reveal. What I mean by that is you sat down with somebody and you, you told them what you wanted to tell them about yourself. And over time, you get to choose what pieces of information you continue uh, to share so that that person kind of develops an idea of who you are, of how you see yourself, of the things that you find that are important. And God chose to do the same thing with the Bible. He chose to reveal himself through this book, a book that was written by 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 to 2,000 years, uh, and a book that's been preserved for us for millennia, preserved for us uh, almost exactly the way that it was originally written. And you can do the research and see it. It's amazing the way that God has preserved his word for us so that we could know him so we can know who he is. And the reality is for some of us, uh, gosh, we don't really know who God is. And so when it comes to this idea of self-revelation, you're the person that's on a date and that person's like, oh yeah, my name's Phil and I'm into movies. And you're like, ah, you look more like a Brandon to me and uh, I'm gonna need you to watch football. Is that cool? Right, like we don't get to emotionally manipulate people and project onto their personality who we want them to be. And yet, if we're being honest, if we don't spend the time getting to understand what God's word is saying, we're gonna miss out on that self-revelation of, of God. And so the reality is this, God, we serve an intimate God. He's so huge, he's so much beyond our comprehension. And yet I may not be able to know God completely, but because of God's word, I can know him accurately. I'm gonna say that again. I may not be able to know God completely, but I can at least know him accurately. And that's the principle behind why uh, I want us to look at this tonight on what it would be to have a life that's rooted in scripture, a life that's saturated with scripture. Because as we uh, learn more about him, we learn more who he is and see how he has worked in the past. We begin to expect him to work in the same ways today and in our time in that way. And so we can know him accurately. We can know who he really is. We can know what he's really about. The second principle on why we want to focus on this is this one. With greater commitment comes greater intimacy. 
We see this in Mark uh, chapter 8, verses 27 through 31. Jesus is standing with the disciples there in Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus is setting up this moment. Hey, who do the crowds say that I am? Who are people saying about us as we're hanging out? Uh, and they're answering, oh, some people think you're a prophet and some people think you're that, ha <laughs> ha, right? And then he's setting up this question, but who do you say that I am? And the disciples respond, you're the Christ, you're the son of God. They make this commitment to him. They've followed after him for a year. They've seen him at work. They've seen uh, his miracles on display. And they're making this commitment statement to him saying, you're the Messiah. You're the one that we were told was to come. And it says in verse 31, and he began to teach them. Uh, and then it goes through. He starts unraveling the plan for them. He's telling them, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to have to suffer. I'm going to have to die. And I'm going to do that willingly. And, and the disciples, what they learned is with that greater commitment, they got to see things that nobody else saw. They got to experience things that no one else got to experience. And Jesus began to unpack for them and explain to them things that other people, the large crowds, never got to learn. Because with greater commitment comes greater intimacy. They get this deeper knowledge from the Lord because they've made the commitment to him. And you get this in your relationships. For those of you, if you've just met somebody, you're not going to share the deepest, most secret things that are within your heart. And yet as you get to know a person and then you get to look them in the eyes and feel the light and the heat and you say, I do, you begin to unveil to them the treasures of your heart. You get to tell them the things that you would tell nobody else. With greater commitment comes greater intimacy. God wants us to know him so that we can have that intimacy with him. I think we can agree. If we can saturate our lives in scripture, if we can get rooted in the word of God, we're gonna see some great things happen in our life. Why? We know Hebrews 4 tells us that the word of God, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's able to divide bone and marrow, soul and spirit. Psalm 1 tells us, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord that he'll be like a tree that's planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. It says in all that he does, he prospers. Can you imagine what it would be like to be able to walk through life with wisdom and to know, not like in a financial sense, maybe a little bit in that because of that wisdom, but in everything that you do, whether it's your family life, your work life, your personal relationships uh, with other people, in all of those areas, you could flourish. Do you want that? I think that's something we all do, right? That's something we all uh, crave. So we recognize the benefits of reading, of knowing the Bible. And the passage we're going to be in tonight, we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. So if you want to pull that out and get that up on your phone. We do have the sermon notes available in the YouVersion app as well. So you can follow along there. Uh, and just so you know, later on, we're going to be reading through parts of uh, 2 Timothy 3 that aren't going to be on the screen because it would have just been a lot to type up. So you'll want to have that handy for later on. But the last two verses in 2 Timothy chapter 3 say this in verse 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed. And it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's the life that I want to have. I know that in my relationship with Christ, I want to be thoroughly equipped. Some translations say that the, the man of God may be complete. I want to be complete, ready for anything that the Lord wants to do in me and through me. 
But as I've talked about this, you might be thinking what someone in our college Bible study felt. Uh, We handed out some index cards to all of them, let them fill out uh, some questions. Because the reality is most of us have those questions that we would never want to ask to somebody and admit that we actually have that question. And I love the honesty from this person because I think that this describes so many of us. They said, what are the steps to read the Bible? People always say to get closer to God, read the Bible and pray. But for someone who forgets almost everything, I need steps. And read the Bible is not a step, but a task with steps. Read the Bible is not helpful guidance for me when I can barely remember to drink water or eat. (laughs) Again, I love the honesty of this person because I think... In, in Western culture, in American Christianity, uh, those of us who are pastors, those of us who are church leaders have made some assumptions for a long time that, oh, we'll talk about this thing and everybody knows what we're talking about. And so we just use these words and we've created this kind of Christianese language uh, and we've left people behind because we've just made the assumption instead of taking the time to really teach people what it is to have the vibrant relationship with Jesus that he wants us to have with him. And so that's the goal for tonight. How can we uh, ascribe some better steps so that we can read the Bible and know what it is to read it well? We don't want to be intimidated by this book because the reality is, gosh, you've got so many different types of literature within one book. You've got historical narrative. You've got poetry. You've got, gosh, Revelation gets its own kind of apocalyptic prophecy because it's just so out there compared to everything else that's in Scripture. And you're probably just like, man, how, what do I do with all of this? How do I handle this? And that's what we want to talk about tonight. So regardless of how much time you have in your schedule, what we're gonna do is we're gonna get some hands-on things tonight. We're gonna work together to see how we can better study the Bible, not just so that we can know God, but so that we can know him accurately, have that intimacy with him, and let him change us from the inside out as we begin to apply scripture to our lives. Does that sound good? Sweet. You're a little quiet tonight, so I had to get something to try to get some, some responses from you. Yes, good. So step one, step one in reading the Bible, choose the best translation for you. Uh, a question that I get asked often is, why are there so many translations in Scripture? Like, why are there, like, all these different Bibles? If you go to the Bible app and you pull that up and you go to the English translations, there's just, like, there's hundreds of them, it feels like. And you're like, gosh, which one do I use? What do I do? And so the, the reason we have so many translations is because uh, ultimately we've got some older translations, uh, but any of the newer translations that we have right now, some people are like King James only. Let me tell you this. Any translation that we have now from Scripture is based on some of the oldest texts that we've got. And so the newer the translation, generally speaking, uh, the better the translation is going to be because it's able to be a little bit more accurate with what we have. Here's the good news, though. Even when we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, this is kind of a nerdy thing. It's not the five-minute nerd out. Don't worry, that's coming. But this is still nerdy. You've got uh, these old kind of texts that we had, and then they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls predated any text that we had by a 1,000 years. And when we compared what we had already translated to what the Dead Sea Scrolls told us, there was a 99.5% success rate in matching that. And that 0.5% was a difference in punctuation or maybe in word flow. So it's like if I was gonna write 5,000 birthday cards to you, the idea is like some of them might say, happy birthday, man, and some of them might say, man, happy birthday, right? Like these were the changes. Those were the differences that we found. 
it's amazing. If you want to know more about that, just Google it. How, is, how do we know Scripture is reliable? And there are so many resources out there, so many explanations on how, uh, how good God's Word is. So back to the translation. The idea with translations is there's a spectrum as far as what these translations are trying to accomplish. So we've got kind of a, a thing that I made, a simple graph uh, that will show you. You've got word-for-word translations. And so what that means is the scholars who got together to translate the Word typically would look at these original texts that we had, and they would look at each word individually to translate that, to try to get those, those words as translated as closely to the original meaning as possible. And so the goal with a, a word-for-word thing is to, to get very accurate and to get exactly what the text is trying to say. But you're going to sacrifice some readability if you do that. Because, uh, gosh, you think about if I were to talk with my British friend, and I'm like, hey, let's go play some football. And he's like, no. Sorry, I'm getting this backwards. Let's say I say to the British friend, let's go play soccer. And he's like, no, I want to play football. I'm like, I hate football. Let's play soccer. And he's like, no, football. He only would say it much cooler and it would sound more refined because it would be in a British accent. But if we're arguing over that, why would that be a ridiculous argument? We're saying the same thing, right? We want to play the same sport. But sometimes the words that we use in our language today might not be uh, as close to the words that were used then. So there might be some confusion that can happen there. Uh, So the other types of translations, what you see is they try to get more thought for thought. So the idea with a thought for thought translation is, yeah, they're going to look at those words and they're going to look at the, the totality of what's being communicated in a passage of scripture. And rather than try to get it exact, what they're going to do is they're going to try to get it more readable for the modern reader. They're going to try to get it into modern language for the people that they're actually translating the scriptures for. So uh, it's still going to communicate the same thought that that passage is trying to communicate, but you might lose a little bit of meaning here and there just as they soften maybe some of the word choice. So if if you're going for the word-for-word stuff, that's more academic. Just going to be honest. How many of you know what the word propitiation means? I'm not seeing any hands. Maybe at home. I saw one in the back. Perfect. We had one. Maybe someone at home, if you know what propitiation means, throw it in the chat. Do it. Hit it up. Moderators are standing by to high five you. I think they call that a Wi Fi, right? If it's a digital high five. So the idea here is yeah, we can get the really academic translations, but sometimes we don't need the academic translations because we just want to understand what Scripture is trying to say. And so we've got that spectrum there, and I put some different translations that are. Uh, really common translations to help you understand and and know. If you want more of that word for word, uh, the New American Standard, the English Standard Bible, those are great Bibles for you. If you want something that's the middle of the road, that still tries to get that word for word, but still tries to make it understandable, uh, the NIV is a great translation. Also the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB. uh, That's Jack's preferred translation for the year. Jack likes to switch translations up each year as he's reading through the Bible to keep it interesting. That's the one he's been in. And if you've noticed, that's actually what he's been preaching out of a lot lately. But maybe you want it to just make more sense to you. And if you're new to scripture, here's what you should do. Look at that one. The, the New Living Translation that's over there on the Thought for Thought, that's a great translation that's still going to communicate the, the message of scripture. It's just going to put it in language that we're more common with today in our society and in our culture. So step one, choose the right translation for yourself. Don't let someone judge you just because you picked one that isn't great. It doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter if you're making the decision to get into the word. That's the best decision you can make. And we don't want somebody to hold you back from that because they're like, oh, you choose to read out of the message? Moron. (laughs) So if someone does that, just be like, don't judge me, right? We're all used to that. All right, step two. 
Step two, go easy on yourself. Start simple. I'm going to say this, and it's, I hope this hits home. Sometimes uh, we forget that God has more grace for you than you even have for yourself. God has more grace for you than you even have for yourself, right? Like we like to beat ourselves up and maybe uh, you've set the New Year's resolution in the past. I'm gonna get in the scriptures. I'm gonna read the word of God more. And you start your Bible reading plan and you do great for day one. And then day two comes and you're doing great. Day three comes and it's going all right. And a lot of people like they do really well until they get to the book of Leviticus because the book of Leviticus is all about all of the priestly rituals that had to be done. And you're just like, there's mold on the wall and they have to call, what the heck is this even talking about, right? It's okay if you don't always understand those things. That's why I'm saying start simple because you're gonna miss a couple days of reading scripture. That's how it goes. Life happens, right? Have some grace for yourself, but have a simple plan to start with. Don't start with reading the Bible straight through if you've never read the Bible before. If you're trying to get back on track with reading God's word, don't start in the book of Jeremiah, right? Don't start with Revelation. Pick something simple. Find a letter of Paul in the New Testament that's four chapters long, something six chapters long, something that's short, something that you can manage. Because if you go easy on yourself and start simple, you're gonna build up some skills that will give you confidence in reading God's word, especially as we apply what we're gonna talk about in a couple minutes here. Studies have shown this, that the average person can actually read the Bible once every four days and still have a vibrant and a healthy relationship with Christ. How many of you are surprised by that? Be honest, yeah, right? Every four days, right? I think so many... People have communicated over the, the years, like, you have to have a daily quiet time in order to have a great relationship with God. You know, and then, like, we just hear this judgmental voice every time we miss reading the word of God. And, and God's not up there scowling at you because you missed a day. When you pick up the word and you make the effort to engage God, to know more about him as you read his word, he's gonna be smiling on you. He's looking on that with favor. Have some grace for yourself. Once every four days is more than enough. I promise you this though, if you're able to get in the word a little bit more often than that, you will grow at a faster rate. We know that. It takes a little bit of work, but the work is worth it. I promise you that. Also keep in mind that you don't always have to spend your quiet time reading the Bible. What do I mean by that? What I mean is this. You don't always have to spend the 10 minutes that you might have Engaging with a couple verses in scripture that you don't necessarily get a lot of understanding out of. What if you were to take, let's say you start with a simple plan and you're like, I'm gonna start by reading the book of uh, Colossians, right? How well do you think you'll do it understanding the book of Colossians? If you just start right in and you just start reading it and you're reading through it and you've only got 10 minutes and so you're kind of reading through, you'll get something, right? Things will stand out, but hear me. Try this. What if you were to take 10 minutes on the first day to look up the historical background of the book of Colossians? Who wrote the book? Who were they writing the book to? Why were they even writing the book in the first place? What does the book have to do with scripture? Like, why is it even included? What's the main message of this book? If you were to answer some of those simple questions on day one, when day two comes, how much more sense do you think Colossians 1 is going to make? Would that help? There we go, a couple whispers, yes. You can say yes. Will that help? Yes, absolutely it would help. 
So your quiet time, again, we don't have to think of our quiet time as being the EpiPen that gives us our fill of Jesus for the day so that we're amped up and ready to go. God will speak clearly. Even just sometimes through learning historical background, you're going to be like, oh my goodness, that's amazing. And you're going to see how God's been at work through history. And it will awaken a whole new sense of wonder within you as you see how God likes to work. Step three is this. Step one, we talked about finding the right translation for you. Step two, start simple. Go easy on yourself. Step three, utilize different Bible study methods. I know I kind of started out by just like dumping on devotionals. Devotionals can be great, right? There's nothing wrong with using a devotional. We just don't want to get attached to the devotional because you're going to burn out. That's just the reality. If, if my wife and I, Anya, wants to go on a date with me, and every single week we're like, yeah, let's go to the same restaurant, we'll sit at the same table, and then we go home and we watch the same movie on TV, are we going to have a vibrant dating life? It's probably going to get really boring for her pretty quickly. And she's going to be like, what creativity does this guy have? I thought I married up. <laughs> and I'll be like, sorry, spoiler. Um, just kidding. When we want to go on dates, we have to change it up. We go to different restaurants. You watch different movies. You watch different types of movies. Sometimes we watch TV shows. Sometimes we go mini golf. Sometimes we just go to the park and walk. It's been a while since we've done that one. But we'll, don't, yeah, note to self, right? So different types of Bible study methods. Devotionals can be great. There's one called Lectio Divinae. It's a Latin word uh, or Latin phrase. Uh, It's a great way if you want to meditate on scripture. The Discovery Bible Methods, another one. It's a simple Bible method that we encourage people to use in uh, e-groups. And so if you want something to take someone who's new to scripture and walk them through asking some good questions, that's a great method to use, the Discovery Bible Method. We've actually got that one linked uh, under the Resources tab if you were to go to the Resources resources tab in the app. But the one I want to talk about tonight is the inductive Bible study method. And the reason is if you learn to master this, just start to put this into practice, I promise you, you will find uh, that God will start to just reveal so many truths to you in scripture. And you're going to find an explosion of vibrancy and just this, this explosion of life within you as God begins to reveal truths in scripture to you. So there's three keys to the inductive Bible study method. And for the rest of the time that we have together tonight, I want us to practice this together. I want you to get some hands-on time with me as we go through uh, an inductive Bible study over 2 Timothy chapter 3. Three keys to inductive Bible study method. Observe, interpret, and apply. Those are the three things that we need to remember. Observe, what does the passage say? Two, interpret what does the passage mean. And then three, apply what does it mean for me. Notice a couple things. How often do you find yourself approaching the word of God and the first question you're asking is, how does this apply to me? Just show of hands. How many of you, that's kind of the first thing, right? Why? You're an American. We value efficiency. Time is money in this country. I need to know why it matters to me. And if it doesn't matter to me, don't waste my time. Mark Bertram's like, amen, right? Like you guys feel this, you experience this, where it's like, why am I here? If this doesn't even matter, like what's going on? The inductive Bible study method, notice where it puts application. It's at the very end. And here's why. If you make the observations in the text first, if you then interpret the text and figure out what the text is saying, when it comes to seeing how it applies to you and why it matters, you will be able to draw much, much, much better conclusions and much better principles to guide you as you live your life. 
It takes a little bit of effort. I'm going to warn you, it really does. But it's something that you can do. And you're going to see that you can do it because we're going to do it together tonight. So step one, observe. What does the text say? What does it say? We want to observe exactly what is in the text before we start to jump to our own preconceived ideas of what the text is trying to say. So one of the best ways to do this is to ask the six investigative questions of the text. Journalists know how to do this. What are those questions? Who, what, when, where, why, and how? So as you're reading a passage in scripture, ask the question, who, ask the question, what, when, where, why, how? Not every question will be relevant to the passage that you're reading. Sometimes the how question especially gets kind of left out, but the who, the what, the when, the where, and the why, almost always, if you were to answer those questions, will reveal quite a bit to you. Uh, it's going to take effort to answer those questions too. I'm just going to be honest. Uh, it's amazing how often uh, we just ask questions and we're like, oh man, I, who did this thing? And the number of times my friend's like, gosh, I wish I could remember this thing. And I'm like, if only there was a phys- like a little device that we could pull out of our pockets and type information to look it up somewhere and get the answer. You know, sometimes sarcasm is, you know, the best way to deliver the message. And then they pull their phone out and then they Google it. I did this with my Bible study on Friday. They're all like kind of guessing at something. And you know, when you're adding a question mark at the end of every sentence and it's like, I was like, if only there was a device you could Google the answer on and tell me that with confidence. And so they're like, oh yeah. I don't know why we forget that, but it's true that we've always got something with us these days. We're so well connected that I promise you these answers are not too far away, and I'm going to prove it to you right now. So uh, there's a couple tools that will always help you when it comes to answering these questions. A good study Bible is a great investment, and I say investment because it's going to cost you about 50 bucks. I'll just tell you up front. A great study Bible is a helpful tool because it gives you a lot of that background information about the book that you're reading, uh, and it also has a lot of footnotes and a lot of information about the text as you're reading. So if you like the paper copy book and you want to have the paper copy book and you just want it all in one spot, get a study Bible, invest in the study Bible. It will do wonders for you and your relationship with God. Maybe uh, you're not a person who gets into the paper books anymore. That's fine. Uh, how many times have you heard me parrot on about Dr. Constable's Bible study notes? I literally in my last sermon in Habakkuk made people pull their phone out and bookmark the website. It's that helpful and I believe that much in it. Dr. Constable taught the Bible for 45 years at Dallas Theological Seminary. This man has dedicated his life to understanding the scriptures so that he could teach it to young Christian leaders as they were being trained for ministry. And he's made all of his notes available for free. I love it because it's basically mini commentaries. And so that's the website, soniclight.com. Go ahead and type that into your phone. I'm not even kidding. Go ahead and pull your phone out. I'm going to make you do it again. Pull your phone out. I don't see anybody's heads moving. I hope that means your phone's already out. Hold it up. Let's see it. If you've got your phones, I want to see the lights. Yes, sweet. Perfect. Type in soniclight.com. And I want you to pull up Dr. Constable's notes for the book of 2 Timothy. What I love about his notes, they start with the information about the author information about historical background, the general uh, message of each book, and all these questions that we ask, the investigative questions, will be answered as you utilize his notes. They're fantastic. And so for tonight, as we get to our five-minute nerd out, I know some of you are waiting for this. We're going to get our nerd hats on. We're ready to go. You get to participate in the five-minute nerd out tonight because we're going to ask you six...
I didn't know if we'd be ready with the ditty. We were ready with the ditty. I love it. So we're going to ask the investigative questions of the book of 2 Timothy. And uh, just so that everyone plays, uh, I've got some gift cards that if you can yell out, the, f- the first person to yell out the answers, uh, we're going to hook you up with a $5 Dutch Bros gift card. So if you want coffee, lemonade, whatever it may be, we've got that. If it comes from the balcony, we can even get a good toss up there too. So if you're at home, I'm sorry, again, Wi-Fi's. We'll give you Wi-Fi's all around, all day long, if you're able to be the first person to drop it in the chat. So... Who, about 2 Timothy, who is involved in 2 Timothy? And for this one, you need to answer two questions. Who wrote the book and to whom was the book written? I see a hand over here. Don't, you don't have to do hands. Just yell it out. Paul wrote it to the Romans? Not quite. That's half of it. 2 Timothy. So we got the first half. Paul wrote it. Who's he writing it to? I don't know who the first person was who said that. Where was it? It was over here, right? Colleen, get up here. Come here. Gift card for you. Five bucks to, to, to Dutch Bros. I want to throw it, but I don't want to hit. It's in a section. Exactly. Here, we'll try it now that you're in the aisle. Look at that. It kind of frisbeed around. Yeah, exactly. So, who? Paul's writing this book to Timothy. What? What's Paul writing about? Why is Paul writing this book to Timothy? What's going on kind of contextually? If you go down a few paragraphs, it's talking about culturally what's taking place. Say it again. Starting a church. He's actually already started the church in Ephesus. So it's not about starting a church here. It's definitely about remaining faithful in the church. Exactly. Laura, good job. Come on. $5. $5 Dutch bro. She's so excited. Yay. All right. Hit you in the hands that time at least. Getting better. Give me a couple more and we'll nail it. So we've got the who, the what. When was the book written? When did Timothy or when did Paul write the book of 2 Timothy? Deb, I heard that, around 67, exactly. So scholars believe uh, it was somewhere between 64 and 67 AD, and we know that it was no later than 67 AD. Oh man, that one bounced, that one skipped, that was a good one. So the why, let's find out why. So he's writing this book to remain faithful to the church. He wrote it around 64 to 67 AD. Contextually, historically, what's the big deal? What's going on in Rome in particular? There's a paragraph about this in Constable's notes. Say it again, Dave. Rome had burned down, right? So in 64 AD, there was a huge fire. Let's see. All right, watch out, Clarissa. I'm going to hit you. Oh, he got it. It's like a baseball game, folks. If you're at home, you're missing out. Everyone's the, yeah, we're just excited like a baseball game. So historically what's taken place, uh, Nero is Caesar. Nero is the emperor of Rome. And Nero, if you know anything about him, he's crazy. That was insane. So Rome burned down in 64 AD, and Nero decided to blame that on the Christians. And so before Nero was emperor, if you were a Christian, it wasn't as big of a deal. Paul had been arrested before for the things that he had taught, but Paul could have visitors in prison and it wasn't a big deal. But when Rome burned down, Nero used this as an opportunity to go after the Christian church. And so he would burn Christians alive at the stake. He would behead them. And so when Paul's writing this letter, he's actually writing from a specific location. Do you know where he's writing from? He's writing from jail. Is that you, Jen? That's right. Last gift card for Jen. So as she's coming up to get that. So he's writing it from jail. There you go. Good job. He's writing it from jail. Um, And it's it's dangerous to be a Christian now. Because if you were to 
tell people that you believe in Jesus, it could cost you your life. And so as we're going to see in this next section, when we start to interpret, this is going to matter, that Nero was going after Christians hard. But because Nero was kind of crazy in 68, he actually committed suicide. This is why we know that Paul, who was uh, martyred by Nero, had to have passed away, had to have been killed before 68. That's why they believe that this book was written no later than 67 AD. So we know this. Church is under oppression at the time that Paul's writing. And so he's writing this as his last letter to Timothy. These are his last words that we get recorded as he's encouraging him to stay strong in the faith and giving him reason to stay strong in the faith. All right, so let's keep that in mind because that helps us with our observation. That lets us see what does the text say. The next question, interpret. What does it mean? And here the goal of interpretation, it's to bring out the meaning of the passage for the people to whom it was written. Notice, for the people to whom it was written, that's what we're trying to understand. What was the author's original intent in writing this passage of scripture? That's what we're asking. And you get how interpretation works. Anya and I, we're about to go to Ukraine. Uh, We're gonna have a great time there for a couple of weeks, but every time we go to Ukraine, uh, she gets to play translator for uh, several weeks, right? If her mom wants to speak to me, because I don't really speak Ukrainian, and her mom, trust me, will want to talk with me, uh, Anya has to stand there. Anya has to hear what her mom says. And Anya's job, if she's a good interpreter, is to listen to what her mom says and then to put it in language that I understand what it is her mom has said. Anya's a really bad interpreter if her mom says a bunch of stuff and then she's uh, interpreting or translating that into something totally different, right? It would be funny for her. The rest of us would have no idea what's going on. So if she wants to be an effective interpreter, an effective translator, she's gonna listen to the heart and the meaning of what her mom is saying. And then when I respond, she's gonna listen to my heart and to my meaning so that we can actually communicate with each other, right? We get how this works. So notice at this point, we're trying to see what does the text mean? What is the author trying to say here? That's what we've got to do with scripture. Think of it this way. While there may be many applications of scripture, there is only one interpretation. And that puts a little bit of weight on us. Again, it takes a little bit of work, but there's some helpful tools uh, that help us to get good interpretation. Uh, Dr. Constable's notes are fantastic because it gives you a verse-by-verse breakdown. As you scroll through on 2 Timothy, if you want to scroll down to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 in the Constable notes, you can actually probably get down to the 16 and 17 on chapter 10 uh, because we're going to look at that in a moment. Uh, But that's really uh, what we want to do with Scripture. We want to understand kind of what each verse is communicating. Sometimes you won't need help. Sometimes it's pretty clear and you're like, yeah, I got that. Other times you're going to run into something. You're like, what in the world is going on? Write it down. Write down your question, but then find one of these verse by verse breakdowns. Find something that gives you that explanation of what is really meant by the author there. David Guzik also has a free commentary. If uh, Dr. Constable feels a little academic, a little stuffy, David Guzik's a little more simple. It's a more section by section breakdown, uh, and it doesn't have nearly as many quotes from other commentaries the way that Dr. Constable does. So if you're super academic and you like detail, Dr. Constable's for you. If you're kind of like, man, I don't need to be overwhelmed with that, get to the point. Uh, David Guzik's commentary is great. You can find that at EnduringWord.com. So EnduringWord.com, check that one out. So let's continue here with uh, our own example uh, with Dr. Constable's notes. So we've got 2 Timothy chapter 3, 
And let's start together in verse 10. Let's keep in mind the background. We know the background now. We know that it was written from prison. These are the final words of Paul. He's writing it to to Timothy to stay strong in the faith because the church is under heavy, heavy persecution. It's dangerous to be a Christian. And he wants to encourage him to endure. So he says this, starting in verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. And yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people, imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. How much more meaning do we get when we read through that, when we understand the background? And I love what Dr. Constable says about that. We can understand most of that. But if we scroll down to where he uh, talks about verses 16 and 17, uh, he says this, Paul wanted to reemphasize the importance of scripture in Timothy's present and future ministry. His emphasis in verse 15 was on its importance in Timothy's life and past. Think about verse 15. It talks about how the word of God was able to bring salvation. If you're under persecution, what are you looking for? Deliverance, right? You're looking for salvation, If you were a Christian in Afghanistan a few weeks ago, what were you looking for? Rescue, right? Let's just put it in real world terms where we can understand the weight of the situation as Paul's writing this to Timothy. And Paul's saying this, if you want your salvation, you know where it comes from. It doesn't come from an external source that comes in and brings you out. Salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. If you want true freedom, put your life in Christ. But Timothy knows this. Paul knows that Timothy knows this because he's seen this. This is the context here as he's setting up that all scripture is God-breathed, right? That's beautiful. I love this here. Um, Scripture, uh, where he's talking about the sacred writing, it's useful. Therefore, Timothy should use it in ministry. It's profitable for teaching, for causing others to understand God's truth and reproof, bringing conviction of error when there's been deviation from God's truth. It's helpful for correction, bringing restoration to the truth when there's been error, and training in righteousness. It's child training type guidance in the ways of right living that God's truth reveals. And I love that Constable even goes to say, this list is selective rather than exhaustive. There are more things that God's word is able to do. We know this, but this is what Paul's emphasizing to Timothy. And so we can get some pretty accurate interpretation to understand what does it mean when we utilize something that gives us this verse-by-verse breakdown. Does that make sense? Does that help to know those things? Does that make this just come alive even more so as you read it? 
And so I hope you see what I mean. If you were to take just 10 minutes of your day to look into some of these things and to get the background of a a word uh, or of a book uh, in the Bible, you're gonna get so much more from God as you're studying that. And so the last stage of all of this is finally apply. And this is finally where we ask the question, what does it mean for me? Notice I'm not saying, what does it mean to me? What does it mean to me is a terrible question that we just need to get out of our vernacular in the church because there's only one interpretation, but there's many applications. What does it mean for me is the better question because we know what it means. We've done the work. We've looked it up and we understand what the author was trying to say. That's what it means to me is what the author was trying to say. What it means for me is a wholly different question that we need to ask. And this is where we get to end tonight. This is where we ask the Holy Spirit to guide us. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's role is to guide believers into truth. The Spirit is there to illuminate truth to us. Truth is a person. Truth is is Jesus Christ. His word is meant to lead us back to Jesus. And so Greg Ogden said this in Discipleship Essentials that this application stage is where we need to learn to cultivate the voice of the Holy Spirit within us. And so some great questions just as we kind of end here. Uh, we're going to throw these up on the screen. Uh, some great questions that you ask at this stage. What's uh, already been a part of my thinking and what's new to me in this passage? What requires a change of thought and what would this change look like in action? Where do I need to change my behavior? Or if the historical situation is no longer relevant, we did this in the Habakkuk series. We asked the question, what principles do I see here that are relevant to me today? If you were to ask those questions after you do all that work, it's so much easier to get some good responses from that. And so I invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes with me, because as we finish up tonight, I want the Spirit to speak to you. How does this apply to you tonight? What application can you draw from God's word as we've looked at 2 Timothy chapter three, knowing that his word is God breathed, God breathed it out for us. The words of God were somehow communicated through these men who wrote them down decades, millennia, millennia ago. It's useful for teaching us, for when we're in the wrong, for correcting us, It's useful for training us for righteousness. And so look at these questions. Let these questions kind of sit over you. What have you already been doing when it comes to reading the word that you want to continue? Is there something that's going to require a change of thought or a change in your behavior so that you can better apply this and live this out? Are there principles that we talked about that are relevant for you? And if you're just kind of sitting there right now a little bit overwhelmed, like, I'm not going to remember all this, um, there's a handout that's going to be at the Next Steps table that has uh, the inductive Bible study method on it. It's got some other resources, just some things to help remind you of what we talked about tonight. And if you're at home and you want access to that, or if you didn't get a chance to grab one tonight, you can email me, lyle at elementcitychurch.org. I'd be happy to email that and share the PDF with you. But as we finish out, God, my prayer is just that uh, there'd be something here tonight that would give us uh, a better handle on truth, a better handle on how we can approach your word. We want to be people who are committed to knowing you accurately. We want to be people who are committed to knowing your character, 
knowing who you are, knowing how you've worked throughout history so that we can expect to see you work in similar ways today in our lives. And that as we grow in that experience of you working in us and through us and around us, it will deepen our faith in you and it will deepen our intimacy with you. God, we wanna be people who have this rooted life. Like someone talked about, the person who's planted by streams of water that's able to flourish wherever they're planted. And your word tells us that we can be complete and equipped for every good work in that way. And yet for so many of us, it just feels like it's always out of reach because there's just so many cares in this world that bombard us. So Lord, would you create margin in our lives? Would you help create discipline within us? If that means we have to wake up 15 minutes earlier each day to be able to do what we need to do so we can get to know you through your word, the way that you've chosen to reveal yourself. So we just ask you, God, would you continue to move? Would you continue to speak to us as we wrap up tonight in worship? And would you put it within us just sometime this week that we could start to put this into action? Whether we start simple with a, a letter of Paul in the New Testament, whether we start with a Psalm, whatever it may be, God, help us to use these tools to get better meaning as we, we, we seek to understand uh, the words that you've preserved for us, the words that you've given us uh, to know you the way you wanna be known. We love you, Lord. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Would you please stand as we continue to worship God in this last song?
It's great to worship with you, whether you're here in the house or watching online, you survived the rainstorm. For those of you who are here, hopefully you're dry by now. Friends, it is a passion of this church for us to help you know and love and be loved by Jesus. And here's what I know. What we talked about tonight, what Lyle brought is people who saturate themselves in scripture, grow in intimacy with Jesus, period. That's it. And so we'd love to help encourage you and push you and uh, nudge you toward that in, in a lot of ways. That's why we're doing this series, Rooted. Here, here's some things, some habits, some practices you can put in place that root you in the way of Jesus more and more. And this is one of those ways uh, to do that. And so, again, I just want to thank you, all of you who online are here, partner with us financially. We don't pass a plate here. We have got giving boxes in the back. A lot of folks actually give online, and that's uh, through the app, or if you go to the website, that's a way that you can be a financial partner with us. Thank you to all of you who do that. You allow us to be the church and help with that. Uh, this coming weekend is second Saturday food distribution. This coming Saturday at 8.30 right out here, here in the parking lot. We're going to try to give out as much food as we can and food boxes to folks in our neighborhood. There's two ways you can help with that. One is Friday morning. We pack all those boxes at Caring Ministries at 830 in the morning. All the info is in the app. On the If you go to events, you'll find all the info, the directions, and all that stuff. So if you're able, maybe you're not working on Friday, you can join me in packing those boxes or be with us here on next Saturday. Pass all that out to folks that are coming by that we uh, flag down and help their family. And then next Sunday, I'm just doing a little precursor uh, for anyone who has kids. Uh, you want to check out, a, be a part of our eKids ministry. Next week, we're going to actually look at what the scriptures have to say about sexual wholeness in a divisive culture that likes to separate body and soul. And so I'm going to be preaching on that and what Jesus has to say about holy sexuality. And so maybe a PG that's not PG-13, PG-12 um, kind of message. And I'm just letting you know that now as a parent, if that's you. And uh, you can tune in for that or be here for that. And I think that's going to be really uh, something powerful in our culture and our context for us to talk about and look at it, how that helps us live in the way of Jesus, to live with a sense of holy sexuality as we approach and go through life. And so, uh, again, from your house or, or our house, we're so glad to, to kind of engage with you and be a part of ministry together. Uh, if you're new here in the house, we're going to be back at the 10-minute party. Lyle will be there. Karen will be there. And uh, we'd love to meet you. If you're online, just fill out the connection card. That's a way you can connect with us. We'll get back in touch with you. And uh, I just want to give you a blessing. May you enjoy the moments that you get to meet your Savior and his love for you in the scriptures. And may he surprise you often with his whispers of love and encouragement and challenge, thoughtfulness, and his wisdom. Friends, we'll see you next week.